welcome to the Immortal Art Podcast. I'm your host Erlin. This is episode 20, Art Dialogues number 6 with Tina Umer. You can support this podcast on Patreon. You can get the early access to the episodes and you can vote what next bonus episode will be. All of that for the price of a cup of coffee per month or even less. And you can cancel it whenever you want. The link is below. Check it out. You can subscribe and follow this podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can reach me at immortalartpodcast at gmail.com. Please rate this podcast or leave a like on YouTube. Thank you. Tina is a Slovenian artist living in Gothenburg, Sweden, for several years now. We met at the Violent Academy. She studied photography and I studied free art. Tina and I, along with a few other people, had an exhibition back in 2019. This is a dialogue with Tina about her art. Welcome to the show, Tina. Thank you. Glad to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. I'm an artist working in photography based in Gothenburg. Originally, I'm from Slovenia. I work with topics of my immediate environment that is sometimes very photographic of discovering where I live, how we relate to our landscape and constructed landscapes. And that is also one part of my practice is to look at my online environments, since at some point I realized that that's where I spend a lot of time and it creates a different sort of landscape I move around in. And my methods are photography, so I'm, I work with a photographic perspective, so that's my first medium, and that's how I see everything through that lens. And I work with textile art and installation as well. Do you do conceptual art, or is it only photography and textile and books? I have a hard time defining myself as a conceptual artist. It's often very hard to define yourself, of course, because you don't have that, like... <laughs> perspective so people did sometimes label me as performance artist but i don't feel like i really belong that much in that it's kind of established genre one would say and i do work with materials a lot and i'm very interested in the materiality of things and that also extends to the internet because it does have its own materiality so i often work more from the I don't look at concepts first, but I maybe look at material and I work sometimes very intuitive, especially when it comes to photography. So in a way I do walk or bike around and take pictures. So in that sense, it's a little more intuitive than conceptual art. Can you explain a little bit more about your materials that you're using? I mean, I come from quite a traditional photographic. Uh, I've been doing more analog than digital. Of course, I have done digital, but often it's more for commissions and for maybe things in the process and not actually as the main kind of method. So I've been doing in the past a lot of analog alternative techniques and kind of always trying to kind of expand the field of photography a bit since I've been interested in illustration and painting and so on. And in that sense, it felt like analog photography was a good way because it it expanded a bit your uh, how much your hand could be present in the photography. Like these handmade photographic techniques uh, offer a little more independence from the very 
brand-based photography. I mean, photography is always developed by big brands that hold the power in these fields. So keeping it a bit more from scratch gives you a bit more independence. I feel like that's quite empowering. I mean, we all use technology and we're all dependent on structures that are made by somebody else that we're often not aware of. How do you prepare yourself to do art piece? I don't have like a one method of how I do things since I'm interested in different materials as well. Uh, textile became kind of interesting because I see some parallel with photography there with how we can, uh, especially when it comes to weaving, when it's, I don't do weaving, but I am going towards it and I've been commissioning weaving pieces, but I feel like there's like a pixel element to it that it's quite interesting so there's a similar division when you look at the when you zoom in on a piece i do like to experiment with different art forms and that kind of maybe then leads to a specific materials do you start with a theme or an idea i i would say i often have the thematic so like the photography is maybe comes after like i've been working a lot with different objects either in terms of screenshots that I've been finding or things that I've been finding in secondhand stores. And then through those objects, I kind of try to re-photograph in a way or reuse them or embroider them in a way that it's like how I feel like I want to reinterpret something. So maybe in that sense, also photography then comes after. But then when I have pieces where I go around and take pictures, it's often a very kind of like I am bodily attracted to like have this urge to you know go with my intuition and go and photograph and then maybe later i try to self-analyze how did i do something and why did i do it and then i understand what is the driving force and how to explain that so it can be both ways for example when i do my art i always think of a theme before i start working i have to have a theme and then start doing it i need to know where it goes you and I, in that sense, are different. But when you said that you are choosing your work, how do you approach that? Does it speak to you in a sense? I do like to get lost in a thing. And it, it can be really hard because often you're not really sure what you're doing. And I think that's part of the artistic process. An artistic process is not branding, is not a business. It's something that often you're not sure where it's going and maybe there is like an idea, but you have to also be open to that that can completely change around in the process. Yeah, sometimes there's a lot of like self-doubt, of course, in this process and a lot of like uncertainty where things are going to go. I feel like I don't really have like a recipe or how I do. I can't say things speak to me in that sense because I'm also quite a logical person. Like even when I say I work with intuition, I mean, it's often things that are very thought through. It's through these kind of logical steps that I also work with. I call it intuition, but it's not maybe intuition. We are all complex creatures. Exactly. And in this complexity that we have, can you tell us a little bit about your project that you're actually doing right now? Yeah, I have bigger, broader things that are ongoing. So one of them is, there is this project I've started when I did a residency in the Netherlands. It is very photographic and it kind of comes through this fascination of production of produce. Like a lot of immigrants in Sweden 
you often start looking at the supermarkets. Food is one of the first yeah. things that you have to reorient yourself. And that's also something you start kind of noticing in common conversation of like where to get good produce. What is the Swedish produce? And it feels like a lot of the shops have been kind of maybe centralized. It's different way how to find local produce, but you do start to think a lot into where do things come from and why does it have to be like that? Um, I think it's just fascinating to me, this like large scale systems of things. And it's especially contrasting when it comes to something that it's as taken for granted. What we eat is perishables. Things that are so close to us and so simple, but at the same time, they're part of these very complex systems of where things are grown, how technologically defined of how they're grown. Like the topics I'm interested in are not usually very clear because I like to have that there's always different entry points mm -hmm. uh, in the things I look at. So I did this residency in the Netherlands and Netherlands is one of those countries that produces a lot of food. I mean, we always have this idea of food that it's this farmer produced there is this marketing represented of like milk packaging with happy cows in grasslands but uh, i feel like they have perfected so much this like agribusiness when you have a farm i was taking these pictures when it's a sunny day and you have a farm but the backdrop is just this glass greenhouses so it becomes this very bizarre kind of double image there might be geese walking in the grass and behind is this huge wall where the actual produce is being made. How did you approach this thing? Only by photographs? No, I've been mostly photographing. I didn't talk to any of people having the businesses and so on. I mean, I did a bit of like my own research, but I don't have like a very documentary approach in photography. I've been discovering different things and um, I think also like a lot of photographers are faced in power relations that come with having a camera. I'm just a person that is not very comfortable of holding that power when it comes to people on the other side of the lens. And what do you mean? I mean, there's a hierarchy when it comes every time that there is a person in front of your camera. And it feels like that's for me a problem with like press photography and often documentary photography that is constant balancing of powers. And I, I'm not comfortable to participate in that. So I prefer to look at the landscape devoid of people. And I think that speaks of people often more than having people in front of the lens or having direct discussion with somebody. I kind of like to be more the observer in that sense. And that's how I also approach a landscape. It's a very constructed landscape and it is businesses. So it, in these uh, landscapes, when I was taking pictures, there would often be either like giant potted plants somewhere, like plants inside, plants outside, and the animals that were either permitted to be there. So I kind of look at all these different things and through that construct a vision that I have. I mean, I am the one photographing. Uh, so that's a project that I started and I'm still interested in it. So I'm planning to go to south of Spain where is the Europe's biggest powerhouse of producing and see how that landscape works with the idea, structures of feeding us in a specific landscape. I'm just curious, how do you approach the term inspiration? I mean, it's often, it's one of these very used terms in the arts. 
think creativity is also one of those terms that is very used. I mean, it can always be more fascination or awe. Inspired always feels like such a happy-go-lucky kind of term. Cliché. Yeah, yeah. But it's in more of this, it's often in a positive light. But sometimes it doesn't necessarily need to be that. You know, it feels like people want to use your inspired and it feels this kind of like, oh, you take something and gives you fuel to your fire of passion, whatever, very, all these cliche things. But I mean, maybe more something that kind of pokes you, maybe something that is more like a sore thing that, you know, gives you a bit of a, I want to look into this deeper or, you know, something that fires you or something that terrifies you as well. Or something that's bigger. I don't know, like sublime is also one of these words that used to be so popular when it comes to talking about these things, but it feels it's a little outdated because it's been so overused. But somehow inspiration, it's not quite in the same basket yet. I see inspiration as a goddess and I often pray to it. Mm. But I'm not joking around. Yeah. I, I don't know why or how but it's always some kind of a goddess without shape or form but it's a female mm -hmm. that's what i know and when i want to do something it's not praying like oh merciful peaceful whatever goddess it's more of like meditation i'm not waiting for inspiration i'm constantly looking for it mm -hmm. by exploring themes and ideas anyway can you explain this project that you work on gone clicking it also comes back to maybe what I spoke before of retaking something. But this comes more of a position as a consumer in the new internet, one could say. The internet where it's been so obvious that we have just been sold something and where it's been more and more obvious that we are the ones being sold as well. And when we're all starting to be aware of the data that it's been sold, this has been a project when I started looking at this new internet landscape of where everything around became so much ads, be it very visible, very invisible, but everything became even more money driven. With this internet utopia of the 90s, where community-based was forward, kind of completely became shattered and it became obvious that everything is now sold and all these technological advancements are just going towards the capital. I took it also a little bit of like, I miss the humor in the art pieces. So even if I sometimes work with very cliche topics that, you know, can be put under consumerism, landscape, nature, relations, climate changes, or like heavy topics that can be quite worrying, I try to kind of look at also the, where's the humor? in these things so to try to have that entry point too it became like a meme subculture at some point but it's kind of like online ads where the algorithm has been entrusted to advertise it and it became of course quickly really much better but at the beginning like algorithmic ads that were like targeted to you as the person that the person you've been seeing through these data points that they have on you that you've been dropping online. I've been looking at these forced ads that are kind of force-fed to you based on who you are as the internet consumer or read as the internet consumer. 
because you are the consumer in the eyes of the companies that hold the apps and the websites. So I've been trying to retake those ads back and try to kind of like work with screenshots through screenshots, slow them down and try to retake them that maybe we don't think, but come in our subconscious, reclaim them, retransform them. And then it became a bit of like also thinking about the objects that do appear in these ads. And this was specifically connected, this project, to this website Wish that at that point started being really aggressively advertised. They were one of the first ones to entrust their whole library of sellers and project or uh, things they were selling to the Facebook's algorithmic targeted ads. And it became really bizarre because it quickly showed that the algorithms didn't show us what we actually need but more what we think we want. And we wouldn't usually click on things that we need. We would click on things that we are curious about. So it became this bizarre projection of more our desires of what to see. And they've been completely playing on that. They've been very open that clickbait is great for our business. People don't buy this stuff. So it doesn't benefit maybe the original sellers that are the small businesses in China that are going to sell you, uh, send you the stuff that they produce, the things that is their livelihood. But the holders of the website, California-based and who make the money and who are been aggressively promoting, building this platform, they're the ones benefiting from the glitches that happen in the algorithm, from all the mistakes and just from our curiosity of understanding uh, what we are actually looking at. That also became like a meme phenomenon because nobody knew if that was for real. And then we're also fascinated by some sort of objects that we maybe don't really see their use, but we project their use and it can be very sexualized. It can be just parodied. It became, becomes a meme. It becomes like a game. So it, it felt like these objects that were always made for very narrow use They've often been objects of beauty because they are apparently easy to sell because uh, it also talks to some improvement of ourselves that we are all the time doing. And it felt like uh, it was just fun to take them and rethink them. So these objects then became even further away from what they were supposed to be used. And I gave them some sort of new agency. Yeah, in that sense, I often also thought photographically about these because I am interested in the image and the online image. It's a very interesting topic. Like we've been all faced with what photography is constantly and what is becoming. And I mean, now with the recent developments of AI, it's been even more discussed of like how, what do we see? I mean, it's also like for photographers, it's never been a new thing. You know, when Photoshop came, and when Photoshop became widely used and people started noticing, oh, everything's fabricated. And photographers were like, yeah, everything always was fabricated. Every step of the process is fabrication. But uh, it feels like there's something a bit more like the image lives on its own on the internet. And I think that becomes quite interesting as well. And sometimes it's not even, you know, the image is not purely photographic like what we were used to. It's often maybe illustration presented as photography. And that's also very interesting to me because then it questions even more what is the actual object here? Like what's the reality of it? How do you see art and artificial intelligence merging together? I don't know. 
I'm a little on the middle ground here. I haven't been participating in these debates too much. I haven't been jumping on the bandwagon too quickly. I'm sometimes a little slow at getting into new things because uh, I want to first try to see a little bit how it goes. It also feels like we can have the discussion of like, oh yeah, AI is going to replace photography. Oh no, but the hands are never going to be good. And then three months later, everybody forgets about the hands because they look fine now. Like I've been a little bit on the back seat of following the debate, but I don't think I know enough to position myself in this uh, case yet. Of course, it's been great to... Uh, see Pope in a fashionable puffer jacket. It's often a lot of like photographic discussions that have been in the photography field before of like the truthfulness and how to see. And like even for like a, somebody that's been looking at the images for a while, you can be lured into into some traps in a sense. It feels like more than ever talking about how we see or like art theory, photographic discussion, like all these things are going to be more and more important in this sense. A lot of AI art is just aesthetically not great. You know, it's so obviously trying to be this hyper-realistic. It just doesn't have that sensibility. Of course, there's also like great examples. Uh, there's this um, French artist, David Fatih. I think he's been doing some really interesting um, works around the AI debate. It's been like how to, you know, just twist around something and make it like very obvious of the boundaries of it. But then what was really interesting is he had a project that was not done by the AI, but he was labeled somewhere, presented as this is an AI project. So this was before he even started doing AI properly. But it was like, because his images were so... Like there was something so uncanny about it that people were just assuming they were AI. And it became mm -hmm. so fascinated that kind of like how it influenced what we see from before as well. There are definitely a lot of interesting people doing the debates, but I kind of have a hard time still positioning myself and I'm still trying to kind of understand how much this is actually going to influence art. And in a way, also what we spoke from before of having a theme or a topic or working a bit loosely. I mean, I think a little bit of that chaos in the work creation is kind of what makes art human in that sense. Yes, I was playing with the artificial intelligence with the GPT and I found most obscure poet and I wrote, hey GPT, can you write a poem about flowers written by this poet? And it gave me not exactly, but I could find the words that this poet would use. I was properly scared, like, okay, we are replaceable, definitely. It will make its own poetry, and it will make its own symphony, and make its own art, and make its own films. It's all crude now with GPT-3 and 4, but imagine when it comes yeah. to 25, yeah. 85. I mean, I mean, there definitely needs to be, like, regulation on it. And I mean, there's been a lot of people speaking against, especially when it's like image models that are based on artists yeah. without the artist knowing or being contacted or having, the giving permission to train or their works. I mean, it's a bit of like uh, run wild and break things, but hopefully we get a bit more regulation on it. 
Because, of course, it's not okay to just build something that it's completely yeah. unregulated when it comes to people's creations. It is learning on like real poetry that exists. But I think there's also an interesting discussion on originality here. The same topics of talent and inspiration. And I mean, kind of like, like nothing is really original, you know? Three questions that I ask everybody on the end. What's the point of art? <laughs> the mic is yours. Mic's mine. I mean, maybe the point... I mean, this is like in general public, very unpopular opinion, but a point is sometimes to be pointless. I actually do. I would put that as an answer. The point of art is to be pointless. Yeah. Because everything else has a point. We got to have something that doesn't have a point. In my projects, I don't like to present a single theme and topic because I like that people have different view on things. And I feel like that's kind of point of the art. The art is not the art itself, it's the negative space around it. It's the reactions, it's the feelings that people get by experiencing it. How would you like to be remembered by? That is so hard, because it's also so hard to know how I even um, perceived. <laughs> like, yeah, but that's why I'm asking. Yeah. I mean, hopefully with uh, some sort of impact. We all want that our life's work has some sort of meaning. Maybe I'm a little bit too young and I haven't really given it as much thought of my mortality uh, in that sense. If you could have a dinner with uh, either historical figure or character from a book, who would it be? I don't know. It also comes to this discussion of artists and their art. I mean, maybe it would be more fun to have dinner with somebody you disagree and don't like. Maybe that's more fruitful. Uh, any 20th century male artists from Yves Klein to postmodernists. Okay, and for the last, do you have your website or something that people can find your art? I do. It's my name and my surname.com. So, is it going to be in the link below? Yes, yeah. it will be. I will put in the link below. So, tinaumer.com. Yes. And uh, on Instagram, you have. That's the same, Tina Umer. Yeah, Tina Umer. And that's, that's pretty much too. Thank you for being part of this dialogue. This concludes this episode. We didn't know what else to say in this episode. I want to thank you for joining and listening. I hope we inspired you. I hope you learned something. The music is performed by my friend Sebastian. You can check his band Cadavera. There's a link below. Enjoy the song. Until next time. Goodbye. Mm-hmm.